Our scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having a dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. I hope you're still getting spiritually nourished through Pastor Corrine's message on grief and gratitude from last Sunday. Uh, I noticed a uh, midweek news headline about um, the family of a certain celebrity who recently died, and it contained those very words, right, grief and gratitude. So that prompted me to further reflect on 2 Corinthians 1. You know, the Ukraine, as we've been hearing about, um, uh, I, I learned uh, from a pastor that I pray with upstate um, that his at his church, they, there's a Russian-speaking congregation that meets there, and uh, they're kind of multinational, meaning there's Russians, there's Ukrainians, there's Belarusians, you know, it's, it's like kind of like Spanish, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, v- a very important language, and so... Yeah, they had to face kind of the possibility that some of their relatives could be fighting some of their relative, other relatives. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like one church member's relatives could be fighting another church member's relatives in, in the Ukraine. So that kind of complication, that kind of sorrow, right, that kind of burden, that grief, right, that was uh, really kind of stood out for me. Um, and yet, you know, they can pray together. Right. This is churches in Buffalo. They can pray together. They can pray for each other. They can pray for uh, true peace and the um, uh, tearing down of human pride and violence. Uh, for the next uh, few sermon series, I'm hoping to uh, examine more in depth uh, each of the three little keys or cuttings, right? If you happen to remember the pin tumbler block metaphor, uh, of our church key verses uh, from Colossians 1, 28 to 29, right? Uh, so I broke that down as proclaiming him, right? That part I want to call evangelisms, evangelism, teaching and admonishing everyone. I want to say that's uh, discipleship and then uh, presenting everyone perfect in Christ. That's multiplication. So, proc- you know, that that's our uh, sub sub points, right? So if I have my way, I'd like to devote uh, several weeks to each of these little keys. Uh, I'd like to start today with some thoughts on evangelism or the proclamation of Christ to our friends, family, and and others. I selected this little narrative from the Gospel of Matthew partially because of its succinctness. Uh, To me, it poignantly captures in just a few words a rather compelling picture of both Matthew's conversion and then almost in the same breath, his first act of evangelism. 
So I've been reading a new book lately called Conversational Evangelism, Connecting with People to Share Jesus by David Geisler and Norman Geisler, um, a famous Christian apologist. Um, the main argument uh, they, make, they make is that in our post-Christian world, uh, where so many people have no biblical or Judeo-Christian background, uh, we need to expand our definition of success in evangelism. So instead of seeing witnessing as kind of a one-shot, make-it-or-break-it, pressurized setting, we hope to see uh, the spiritual fruit of, where we hope to see the spiritual fruit of conversion right before our very eyes, which if it happens is, is amazing, of course. Um, it's important, however, to see that evangelism is usually, especially these days, a process. A continuous and ongoing, sometimes takes a long time, a kind of process. In other words, every conversation, uh, every act shared with a view toward the gospel can help people take one step and then another step and then further steps closer to a relationship with Christ. So evangelism is better understood as an everyday and in every way helping of our non-believing friends and family and neighbors to take one step closer uh, to Jesus Christ. Now, I figure many of us kind of already know that and conduct ourselves accordingly, but it helps. Uh, it's, it certainly encouraged me to be reminded of it yeah, again. If all we do is define evangelism as reaping or harvesting, we may get disheartened. Uh, we, if we don't see immediate results. So I think what is sorely needed is what the book calls pre-evangelism. Okay, pre-evangelism. If evangelism is the planting uh, seeds of the gospel, then pre-evangelism is tilling the soil, preparing the soil uh, of people's minds and hearts to help them be more willing to listen to the truth of the gospel. Uh, cultivation. Right? That's another good uh, agrarian word. Sometimes our hearts, people's hearts, the ground is too hard. Sometimes it's too thin. Sometimes it's too thorny. So how do we use pre-evangelism to help prepare people to become good soil? Right? This is done, I think, through wise, loving, apt uh, words and, and topics. It's done through the witness and quality of our lives, right? Like, what's the number one objection, I think, uh, research to, to people coming to Christ? Um, research has shown that it is um, uh, the negative stereotypes of Christian hypocrisy. You say one thing and you do another, right? You don't practice what you preach. So when we do practice what we preach, right, when we really show the witness of a godly life, that can help dispel some of those negative uh, stereotypes. Right? So uh, I'm hoping to maybe uh, use this book to kind of guide some of my thoughts on the uh, evangelism messages that I'll give. Now, for, for Matthew, the tax collector, uh, his pre-evangelism, if you will, right? it was a simple dinner party at his house. A Matthew party <laughs> is... Uh, how some people uh, refer to it. 
And it beautifully illustrated his desire uh, to share Christ with his friends. You know, Matthew probably didn't even know what he was doing could be considered evangelistic, right? All he knew was that something stupendous, faith in Christ, had happened to him. And he was just introducing his friends and colleagues to the guy that changed his life. And so for Matthew's two interactions, following Jesus and then sharing that with his fellows, right, hoping that they in turn would one day follow Jesus. I derived my sermon title, right? Fellows that follow, right? There's an old um, English folk song about the working life of horsemen on an English farm in the days before machinery. It's called All Jolly Fellows That Follow the Plow. <laughs> so um, I, I was going to play it here, but it didn't sound that good. So it was kind of like, it, it really sounded like this 1800 recording or something like that. I found the reference interesting since Jesus uses plowing imagery in some of his parables and calls uh, to discipleship as well. And I like the idea of camaraderie and hard work and even the joy, the jolly joy, that can accompany the following uh, of Jesus. So, fellows that follow is the title. Right? Uh, let's take a little bit of time to talk about Matthew's uh, seemingly abrupt decision to follow Jesus. Uh, you may have heard earlier messages from me or other speakers about why or how Matthew was able to make such a big leap right, with his life so quickly. Some people think that Matthew had heard Jesus teach before a number of times. Um, so it wasn't necessarily such an impulsive decision. Uh, other commentators think that it was that even if it was their first encounter, somehow Matthew was primed. He was just ready uh, to respond to something like the powerful call of Jesus upon his life right then and there. I, I'm more of the latter camp, right? Certainly, uh, I'd make an argument that Matthew's profession was not the easiest or the most satisfying, although it was considered lucrative. Basically, Matthew collected toll money from his fellow Israelites who were coming in and out of the area. Um, and he would send the proceeds uh, onwards and upwards to Imperial Rome. So whatever, he had a quota. Whatever monies that he uh, collected after reaching his quota, those were Matthew's to keep. That was his commission. That was his money. That was his income. So tax collectors were notorious for overcharging and gouging their own country people to heap up profits. Hence, their categorization as tax collectors and sinners. And they're not only hated for their greed, but as traitors for being in the employ of the Herodians right, and the Roman oppressors. So to me, it's rather plausible that uh, Matthew disliked his job and maybe had even considered another occupational avenue. Right? I mean, look at America right now. Well, we're in the throes of the great resignation. Right? Great resignation. People have changing jobs like that they've had for a long time. They're changing careers. They're moving from one city to another. They're changing friend groups, changing churches, changing healthcare providers, political parties, what have you. Right? So it's not so far-fetched. Uh, in my mind. Uh, be that as it may, uh, Matthew made the greatest move of his life. 
He decided to follow Jesus, right? He, he picked the greatest person and the, with the greatest cause, uh, with the greatest future to hitch his wagon to. Right? And as mentioned earlier, he knew Jesus was special. Matthew knew he had found what his heart had always been looking for, aching for, and dreaming of forever. And to me, that conviction, right, that I've received something special, amazing, is at the heart of evangelism. The simple desire to share with others the incredible treasure you found in Jesus. It's such, it's such a great piece of news, such great news that you can't keep it to yourself. Uh, there's an Old Testament passage in Second Kings where after a particularly long and hor horrific military siege of an uh, Israelite city by the army of Aram, God overthrows them. He scatters them far away without any actual military engagement. Four lepers, people with uh, this uh, disease, from the city facing starvation, they take the risk, they venture out, they creep out because it's better than starving, right? And they learn, they realize, they see that the army has run away, right? The enemy has run away. They stumble upon the abandoned supplies of the Aramean army. And there's like so much, right? There's a huge army. They start enjoying and eating, hiding the plunder and the supplies. But then they're con they get conscience-stricken. <laughs> they realize uh, how selfish it would be not to share with their fellow siege sufferers. So subsequently, they uh, go back. They notify the people to come and share in the bounty. Yeah. Similarly, I think Matthew hosts this dinner party in Jesus' honor and invites all his tax collector buddies in hopes that they may be impacted by this amazing Jesus. So Matthew must have had empathy, right, for his fellows. He knows their misery. He knows what it's like to live against your conscience. He knows what it's like to be ostracized. He knows what it's like to have only fellow sinners as peers. So even if it's just for one night, Matthew wants them to have a little brush with greatness. So he holds a party. He hosts a dinner, which I'm sure he's done a hundred times, you know, many times. But so he uses this, right, as a simple but I think effective means of evangelism or pre-evangelism. So I want to look at, you know, some contours uh, of, of, this, of what Matthew uh, did, right? And I'm going to call it um, contact evangelism, right? I don't think anyone uses that term, so I just want to use it for today, right? So what Matthew did was he created an opportunity for his colleagues, for his friends, to make contact with Jesus. That's it. Yeah, use whatever means you have to help people make contact with Jesus. Right? So I'm going to share some simple points from that vantage, uh, from that uh, perspective, right? It's real simple. I want to say that it was fast, it was frequent, and it was forgiving, right? It was about forgiveness. We'll get into these, right? Yeah. So, first, fast. Uh, Matthew threw his party proximate in time to his uh, commitment to Jesus. Right? Verse 10 doesn't tell us exactly when the party was held, but I can't imagine it being very far off from 
you know, when Matthew responded to the call to discipleship. It was immediate. The joy and the passion that I described earlier in Matthew would probably seek expression uh, sooner than later. I don't see Matthew dragging his feet, like you know, looking for an open day on his cal social calendar or waiting for some future opportune time. There, there's something urgent, right? something even hasty uh, about getting his friends and Jesus in the same room. And furthermore, Jesus was an itinerant rabbi. He moved around from place to place. How, who, who knew how long he would be teaching in that particular locale? Right, Matthew, too, he's, he's now out of the business, right, so to speak. So who knows how long he's going to have this influence or this network that he had enjoyed up to now. So I believe that he moved in an industrious fashion. Right? Time was of the essence to establish these contacts with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we have to rush evangelism, let alone salvation. The result to is totally in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Right? But the timing of many opportunities, I think, is often in our hands. Right? It's up to us to discern the kairos. Right? Kairos is the Greek word for time. Uh, but it's opposed to, or it's contrasted with the word Greek word chronos, which also means time. But chronos is chronological time. Kairos is opportune time, the time of the moment. Right? So we should see the Kairos moments and move fast, act fast, think fast. Yeah. Redeem the time, Paul says in Ephesians 6. Make the most of every opportunity. Yeah, people say that a lot uh, with respect to acting on your desires, like carpe diem, life is short. Uh, here's a new one I found by author Dan Simmons. In such seconds of decision, entire futures are made. Right? I think we can make a spiritual counterpart here. Why not? Right? Why shouldn't we see entire spiritual futures dependent upon the right contacts and introductions by us to, of Jesus to the people we care about? Yeah. A certain speed, a certain uh, urgency. Right? Again, we can't make evangelism move faster than God wants it to. But we can move fast when it comes to creating chances for loved ones to see Jesus at work in us, at work in the church, and at work in the world. So let's not miss out. Let's not unwisely delay. Let's not procrastinate. I mean, procrastinate is you know you should do it. You know this is the right time to do it, but you put it off. When it comes to bringing people into contact with Jesus. Uh, second, I um, want to say that here, contact evangelism should be frequent. Frequent. I only get one example of Matthew's hosting the dinner, right? But I think it illustrates via its simplicity, right? via its kind of commonplace activity in life, um, that Matthew, right, he kind of, uh, to me, he kind of piggybacks on the act of food, of eating, right, in order to bring Jesus and his friends together. It was a meal, one of tens of thousands that we will eat in our lifetimes, it, um, one of hundreds if not thousands of times that we will share, it will eat in the company of others. So Matthew, like I said, piggybacked his evangelism onto 
something so basic, so normal. Well, the pandemic has messed up, right? Eating together big time, I understand. But it's so routine, so natural as eating. So anybody could do it. Matthew didn't need a special like, training. He didn't need uh, you know, so to, to attend a seminar or something like that. He, he just put two and two together, as we say. I'm going to eat. I have friends. Jesus is amazing. Let's make it happen. Uh, now, even though Luke's version uh, of this passage mentions that it was a great banquet, so it was, he went all out uh, that he prepared for Jesus, but a shared meal is one of the most available and accessible means of introducing people to Jesus. I think that could be thought of. Yeah, they, you know, meals are a natural recurring way in which we can get to know other people. Right? We eat all the time. For some of us, we snack all the time, right? It's just a good way of sharing life and sharing Jesus. Right? I think Matthew capitalized on that simple reality. So what I'm trying to say is that find something that you do frequently right? and see if you can't incorporate, you can't intertwine some evangelistic opportunities to bring people into contact with Jesus. Let's try to build it into our habits and routines. Let's lower the hurdle on what it means to evangelize and do outreach. I, I learned this uh, from one of our former leaders here. We have to push past the awkwardness, the concerns about knowing enough, whether it's going to be effective. Right? At its essence, evangelism is telling, showing uh, our friends and family hey, Jesus is this valuable friend uh, that I have. That's it. That's evangelism. That's pre-evangelism. That's outreach. That's missions. It's not a hugely difficult thing if we don't make it out to be. Right? It's doing one little thing to one person that God has been putting in our orbit, putting us into contact with. Right? Since Christ lives in us, if we make contact with them and we let the Spirit work, that's evangelism, right? That's how they can make contact with Jesus. Yeah. Oh, Jesus is not physically here like he was in, in, the Matthews, in Matthew's story, but because he's in us, he's amongst us, right? Corporately, by being together, by being um, led by Christ. Um, that's a way to let people know what Christ means to us. So at work, on the subway, talking to your doorman, right, at the gym. You know, we're always talking about what's going on in our lives, like, you know, what's happening with, with family, what's happening in the world, what's happening in, you know, with their health. We're, we're, we're kind of sharing creatures uh, you know, for the most part, right? But why don't we tell them what, how Jesus changes, what he does in our lives? Like what you do on Sundays, it's uh, you know we're always talking about what are you gonna do this weekend? Well, tell them that you know you're gonna cook a thousand meatballs for <laughs> people to consume in three minutes, you no, know, at church or something like that, right? Um, one person had a, a, a Jewish uh, a gym gym partner, a gym buddy, right? And 
said that he would always talk to him about some of the Old Testament passages that he was studying or reading or teaching on, right? It was just an opportunity to talk about um, about Christ. Right? We tell one of your co-workers that you're praying for her sick relative, right? Uh, tell them, you know, how you know, your prayer life really allowed you to, to kind of make it through uh, a difficult moment this past week, a difficult day. Yeah, just in simple and direct and even casual ways, in different ways to convey, yeah, Jesus is important uh, to me. Pray that it leads to something. From there, see how the Holy Spirit can grow it into something one step at a time. Yeah, frequent, frequent evangelism. Uh, yesterday, we kind of had a Matthew party in Brooklyn. It was uh, at an indoor soccer field. And it was a means of fellowship between brothers and sisters. And it took some planning. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, but it was an opportunity, in my mind, for contact evangelism. So. I was able to invite, and one of my NYU English conversation friends uh, joined us, right? And we had a good time playing um, and meeting with people. Uh, he was impressed, he said, with the, uh, the women's soccer skills. So presumably, he meant Chelsea and Audrey. Audrey is amazing. Yesterday on my subway ride home, I kept imagining Audrey going like this when she's dribbling the ball, kind of trying to fake me out. Uh, but, you know, he mentioned that. He said they were really good. And then he enjoyed conversing with uh, Sam, the math teacher. He called him Sam, the math teacher. And the nice guy, I can't remember his name, who knows so many restaurants in Queens. Yes, uh, our Maddie Chin, the one and only. Right? It was natural. It was easy. It was nice. Right? And for sports lovers, I'm thinking this can happen frequently, intentionally, enjoyably, regularly. Not soccer. I mean, we can't play soccer that frequently. So it's not that basketball. He's actually, uh, this guy's uh, into basketball. So, you know, maybe there'll be an opportunity uh, for that. But whatever it is, right, whatever you want to, not even organize, but just do as you do to just uh, have that mindset. How can I help my friend, help my family, help my neighbor, help my stranger uh, move one step closer uh, to Christ. That's my hope. Okay, fast, frequent, and last, forgiving. Uh, this last one is less of a how-to and more of a who-to, right? Who, who are we talking about, right? I think this applies both in terms of, of um, the people, right? We should have a heart for, so those who need forgiveness, but also, I think it should apply to the kind of person that I am as I'm kind of engaged in this, that I am yeah, a fully forgiven sinner myself. Matthew was not some great saint when he threw this gathering. He was newly converted into a disciple of Christ. He was just getting used to the living temple that Jesus was. Right? He hadn't heard the Sermon on the Mount yet. Right? He was not privy to the miracles uh, to me, that shows that whatever stage we are in our Christian journeys, we can freely evangelize, uh, especially in, in this kind of contact manner. 
the Geislers in the book, uh, they write that we should keep in mind that our struggles in evangelism are not primarily about methodology, right? but it's about heart. That's the big obstacle when it comes to evangelism. Do we have a heart for God? And do we care about the things that God cares about? So it's less about knowledge, less about expertise. Uh, it's really about how we see ourselves and the gospel. So I feel like if we stay focused on how forgiven we are, right? I talked about the em empathy that Matthew must have had. Right? I think we can be effective and lively evangelists, right? If someone like me can be forgiven all my sins, then my fellow tax collectors and sinners are fair game uh, too. Now, there is a kind of Paul that is cast on the Matthew party by the Pharisees who regarded a table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners um, as defiling to Jesus and his disciples. Right? They're really into ceremonial purity. So they raised the snooty question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, implying that Jesus should know better. But you know, Jesus is not deterred in the least. Right? Neither should we. In effect, Jesus says, um, hey, food is for the hungry. Healing is for the sick. Forgiveness is for the sinner. Right? Actually, Jesus always ate with sinners. Right? There's no other kind. If he didn't, he really would have nobody else to eat with. So, since we're forgiven, since we were the tax collectors and sinners, it's fine right, to eat with such people, to share Jesus, you know what I mean, with such people, right? Not to be uh, paralyzed by criticism or to fear failure. Right? Forgiven all our failures that were uh, sinful. So not only do we see that in ourselves, right, but the forgiving aspect, the forgiveness uh, that people need. Yeah, everyone needs that. Every person, no matter how well put together or falling to pieces they are, needs forgiveness. Matthew knew that full well. So he invites guys that are wretched and messed up uh, and greedy. Right? Maybe Zacchaeus was on the invite list. Yeah, other lowlifes, riffraff, rabble about town. It was the opposite of the parable of the great banquet. Right? Where th those were the A-listers uh, who were originally invited, they ended up snubbing the feet, the host, and they never showed up. So the host sends his servant out to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They got to feast. But here in, in Matthew's um, dinner, it's the opposite. The unforgiven from the start were the most welcome at his shindig. Uh, and Jesus would call them to follow me just uh, the same. So I want to say it this way. Let's be forgiving, all right? In our, let's be yielding in our outlook, you know, recognizing that we're imperfect, forgiven sinners and that the gospel is for people who sometimes desperately are in need of forgiveness. Right? Jesus says this way, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Evangelism is about mercy, right? Not sacrifice. Now, I think what, what the passage means there, sacrifice was kind of the, the sacrificial system, right? A legal, a systematic, a very structured kind of hierarchical Old Testament kind of system that God implemented. And it was 
intended to right, teach mercy, but it ended up being engendering pride and separation and division and judgment. Right? And that is as far away from the kind of uh, mercy and grace that God is, that Jesus came, that Jesus embodied, right? So even in the act of evangelism, right, we need to, I think, have that full awareness that we are, we've been forgiven by mercy and that through mercy, that's how we can help others uh, to be forgiven. Even our halting, steep learning curve, imperfect attempts at evangelism may need a forgiving term, turn. Right, so let's do it by heart, uh, through heart, through the heart first and foremost. Um, the Geisler quote, uh, book contained a quote that I'll close with. I liked it a lot. I commend it to us. All right, it's still the wheels turning, I think. You can see it? All right, ah, simple. You are a Christian because somebody cared. Now it's your turn. Warren Wordsby was a uh, Bible preacher, radio preacher. Yeah, now it's your turn, now it's my turn. Somebody cared. Let's pray. Lord, um, this uh, scene in Matthew uh, is, is so interesting to read and to think about, at least for me. Um, I really wonder uh, what it was like to actually uh, live it out. Um, what was Matthew's expression when you called him, did Matthew discuss with you um, whether he should throw this party or not? Who did you meet there? Uh, what were their facial expressions like? Did any of those tax collectors and sinners become followers on the spot? Or did they, uh, how were they moved closer to you? What happened uh, in their journey? Lord, even though we may not know all the specific details, um, we are Matthew. We have that privilege and I think responsibility now to do uh, the same kinds of actions and same kinds of prayers and same kinds of invitations uh, to many people who do not know you yet. Help us to follow you. Help us to bring our fellows to follow you uh, as well. If there's one thing that we can do this week, Lord, impress that upon us now, a simple thing, a frequent thing, something we can do fast uh, that is in the spirit of the mercy that you have shown us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.